course, this is EO080, uh, the content history of the Old Testament. And I look forward to our time in the next couple of weeks to really dig into uh, God's former testament, the Old Testament, and uh, to learn from his word together as it points us to Christ and God's plan for his people in redemption through Christ. Let's take a look first of all at the um, yellow sheet. This is essentially the syllabus for us here. And uh, take a look first at the catalog description. Uh, very, very simple, basic, one sentence. This course is designed to assist the student in gaining the basic understanding of the content and history of the Old Testament, which is prerequisite for the study of theology at the seminary level. So uh, what we're going to be considering here is just the basics, okay, basic understanding of the content, which would include certainly theology, um, history, basic message, some of the uh, key passages, um, but it's getting that basic understanding of the, the content. Um, prerequisite for the study of theology, um, which essentially boils down to uh, the successful completion of the um, entry level competency exam, the ELCE. And um, we will be very deliberate in helping you to uh, succeed in uh, uh, completing that exam in a way that uh, meets the standards of the seminary. Okay. Uh, now, I can't make that an absolute guarantee because it depends on you as well and your work that you do. But um, uh, we've intended this course to, to be very, very uh, deliberate and intentional in its uh, assistance to you for that. Okay? So, the course objectives then. This course will provide opportunities and occasion for the growth and development of the student's understanding, ability, and attitude. And I think it's important for us to take a look at these objectives just so that we have them clear as we begin here. Okay? Uh, first of all, the student will gain a better understanding of the overall structure and narrative of the Old Testament. Okay? Um, uh, how it is structured, what is the narrative flow, uh, the, the story behind the Old Testament. Getting the big picture, seeing uh, the forest here. So oftentimes when we go to the Bible, we just kind of attend to an individual tree or even a branch or a leaf. Here, let's get the whole picture, uh, the, the whole forest for it. Okay, secondly, the message of the Old Testament as it relates to Christian proclamation. Okay, so what is um, God's word for us here and that word to be proclaimed? Thirdly, the relationship of individual books to the narrative and message of the Old Testament so that it's not disintegrated, a piece here, a piece here, but it's integrated into a whole. Those individual books, what is the relationships of those books to one another? How are they matrixed together? And then fourthly, the details of important events in the history of ancient Israel. So uh, we will get into detail for the most important events um, in that narrative. 
Okay? Next, we have ability. The student will be better able to relate the basic narrative and message of the Old Testament from Genesis through the return from exile. So to relate that, to be able to articulate that. Uh, to identify specific characters, events, and scripture quotations as they rate, relate to the overall narrative and message of the Old Testament. Okay. Uh, so to know important people, personages, and um, um, uh, what are some important events. Uh, also be able to identify some key scripture passages as well, uh, the content of those passages. And then in terms of the attitude, you will grow in the following attitudes, a love of scripture, an appreciation of the value of the Old Testament for Christian life and ministry, Sometimes we just kind of neglect the Old Testament. Uh, we, we see it as inferior even to the New Testament, but to appreciate its value. That's an objective here. And a desire for further study of Old Testament theology and history, to go deeper beyond this. Um, we want to attain to that. So that attitude is very, very important. And um, right now, playing at the Muni, those of you who are new to St. Louis perhaps are not as familiar with the Muni. The Muni, Muni is our municipal opera, the largest outdoor um, um, uh, theatrical arena in the North America. And um, if you have opportunity here this next week, uh, go to see Fiddler on the Roof. Okay, and uh, we're actually going on Thursday night. But um, in Fiddler on the Roof, one of the sing, uh, songs that Tevye, who's the main character, um, a Russian Jew, uh, kind of a poor Russian peasant, uh, sings is the song, If I Were a Rich Man. And uh, he just kind of speculates, dreams, if you will, what would his life be like if he was a rich man? And uh, he says if he was a rich man, he wouldn't have to work hard. He'd build a tall house with uh, rooms by the dozen, fill his yard with animals, um, not just the few scrawny chickens and ducks that he has in his present uh, farm lot. Um, he says, I see my wife, my Golda, looking like a rich man's wife with a proper double chin, supervising meals to her heart's delight. I see her putting on airs and strutting like a peacock. Boy, what a happy mood she's in, screaming at the servants day and night. Okay, so a lot of visions that he has if he was a rich man. But the song comes to a culmination in terms of what he would value most if he was a rich man. And this is what the stanza says. If I were rich, I'd have the time that I lack to sit in the synagogue and pray and maybe have a seat by the Eastern wall. And I'd discuss the holy books with the learned men several hours each day. That would be the sweetest thing of all. The sweetest thing of all. And that's the opportunity we have here 
to discuss the holy writings, the holy books of the Old Testament, to learn from those hours a day, okay, three hours a day, we have that opportunity. And I pray that uh, your attitude will be that of Tevya here. That would be the sweetest thing of all, what we are going to embark on here. Okay, so those are some uh, objectives, personal objectives for you. But um, there certainly is then the more academic, or even if you might, professional objective to equip you to successfully complete the entry-level competency exam. Okay, and I'll speak of that here shortly. Before I do so, how many of you have taken an Old Testament course already, uh, either at the university level, um, okay, a couple of you have, okay, taken an Old Testament course. So I would certainly welcome any insights that you have from your own personal study or from these uh, Old Testament courses that you've had that would truly be enriching to us. In terms of the required texts, um, obviously the Bible is the required text. And very purposefully, I have not included other required texts other than this little piece here, which isn't all that substantive. And essentially, the purpose for this is to provide you with some of the graphics that will be used as we go through this. But um, the reason is because we want you to get into the scriptures and actually read what the Old Testament has to say, what the scriptures themselves have to say. Um, not just for the sake of passing the exam, but to really be grounded by, in the word of God and filled by that word. Okay, uh, The version that I'll be using is the uh, English Standard Version, okay? because that's been the version that's now adopted by our LCMS as kind of the official um, translation. However, if you have other versions, probably the most common is the New International Version. Uh, that's fine as well. I'm not requiring you to go out and buy an um, um, English Standard Version if you don't have that. Okay? Now, um, this is also going to be a guide for us here. Um, the uh, see through the scriptures piece here. Okay? And uh, I understand that the bookstore is out of these. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. But they are overnighting because this is an intensive term. <laughs> We've got only two weeks. Uh, they will be overnighting uh, for this. Okay. And the main reason why I've um, asked you to uh, purchase this is because we'll be using uh, many of the uh, visual aids from the crossways. Uh, curriculum. And uh, if you're not familiar with Crossways, Crossways is a, a very, very thorough, comprehensive study of the scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament. Obviously, we'll just be doing the Old Testament. This does include also the New Testament. We won't be going into that. And uses graphics, visuals, to gain a better understanding of the content uh, of the Old Testament, various sections of the Old Testament. And so this way you will have some of these uh, transparencies your, yourself, or these visuals, I should say, yourself. Um, 
that you can access with an explanatory um, commentary to those visuals. Have any of you actually gone through Crossways, the Crossways program? Okay, so you'll be familiar with this. This will be in some ways a uh, uh, return to that and review of that. Okay, um, the PowerPoint slides that have been produced by Crossways, now we'll be doing much more than that, but uh, are available to you as well to use. And uh, uh, you can access them at the same uh, site as uh, is identified here, a website. But it's best that you go through the training program uh, before you do so, or else it's, you're really not going to understand the um, visuals very well. Okay. Uh, then there are other suggested te texts. The um, Nielsen's book of charts and maps uh, is simply helpful to, for you to see uh, some of the uh, main events and main movements in the Old Testament and New Testament, main uh, themes that now have been kind of systematized and categorized in a way that is helpful. And then certainly the maps are useful for us in terms of understanding uh, the geographical context in which this takes place. Um, the, the book by, edited by Andrew Steinman is one that goes into much greater detail. Okay? So if you want to dig deeper and have a very Lutheran perspective, uh, in terms of commentary as you're going through the scriptures, this would be an excellent resource. Okay, But it does go quite a bit deeper than we will be going in terms of uh, the course, and certainly much, much deeper than is necessary for uh, successful completion of the exam. OK, this is just kind of an introduction. and. Um, what you have here is a picture of a galaxy. It's not our gal galaxy. Um, it's taken by the Hubble telescope. Um, but it's one very similar to ours. And um, uh, our galaxy, uh, similar to this, would have a solar system uh, somewhere in the midst of <laughs> that spiraling mass. Um, the Milky Way galaxy itself is um, about 100 um, billion light years across. So it would take like 100 billion years to cross from one end to the other. Um, just immense in terms of going the speed of light. Uh, our galaxy itself uh, contains, it's estimated, uh, over 50, uh, over 100 billion stars, solar systems. Okay. And it's also estimated that there are uh, over 50 billion galaxies in addition to the Milky Way. Um, so our, the creation is just immense. It's vast. And in the midst of that creation, in one of these galaxies we call the Milky Way, uh, we have a solar system here. This isn't drawn to scale, as you can see. But uh, from the sun, here in terms of distance, there are nine planets. I know that Pluto's 
now been kind of kicked out as a planet. But, um, but our Earth is the third rock from the sun there, okay? And uh, if you would reduce the size um, of the sun to the size of a beach ball, the Earth would be the size of a pea, okay? And the Earth would be in distance proportionately about a football field and a half away from that beach ball we, call, we would call the sun. So it's an immense, immense universe, okay? And the question is then, is it possible for us to discover God simply by examining the universe? Is that possible, to look up through a telescope and discover God? I think it's possible to see his work, but I think you're going to get a, a skewed representation of, of who God is and his love for us. Okay. Okay, so it is certainly possible to see his handiwork, his work, as you could see, okay. see what he has done, okay. But we cannot find God or discover God himself through a study of the natural order, the natural creation, okay. Yet we can learn some things, we can observe some things about God, okay, and simply by looking at the created order, what are some of the things that uh, we can learn about God? He's powerful. Okay, powerful. I mean, it's vast to have flung forth these galaxies. Um, powerful. So, certain attributes, all powerful. Anything else? Exists. Pardon me? That he exists. Okay. I guess the psalmist states that he just looks to the heavens and know that you are God. Okay, okay. So uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth proclaims his handiwork. So it is evident that he exists. Okay. I remember when I was um, in um, college, I uh, went to a secular university, and uh, the professor, this was actually in a biology course, but the professor was always talking about, um, you know, this organ is designed to do this. And this limb is designed to do that. And I wish I would have had the courage to say, you know, you're speaking of designed. That implies a designer. Okay. Who's the designer? Okay. So there is uh, a design. It, it's a testimony that God exists. And in Romans chapter 1, it says that uh, the created order here uh, testifies to the existence of a creator. And so, no one is without excuse um, that everybody is accountable because it is evident to all. Now, not everyone will acknowledge that and, and believe it, um, but everybody is accountable. Okay? So, um, that he exists, that he's all-powerful. Anything else that it tells us? I mean, he's created things that we can't even understand. So, okay. in a sense, you know, he's all-knowledgeable because he knows what, what each thing is and what its purpose is. Okay. His knowledge is sublime. Okay. And we would say omniscient, all-knowing, okay, uh, goes beyond us in terms of, of, of the, the mechanisms, the, dis, the purposes 
of the creation, how they work. So, supreme intelligence. Anything else? Very detailed. Okay. Every, everything down to the smallest thing is very specific. Good, good. Very specific. Very detailed. Okay. And um, that detail is all in an order. So it's very orderly. That God has a design. He has an order for all that he's created. And it works together, integrates together. Okay. Anything else? It's creative. Okay. He's creative. Uh -huh. um, he's, in a sense, almost artistic, you could say, in the design that he has made. There's a beauty to it. Good. Okay. However, there are certain things that we cannot discover about God um, through simply observing the created order, observing nature. What are some of the things that we cannot learn about God? His love for us, his will for us. Okay. What he desires of us. Good, good. So, his love for us, and you might say, well, he created us. That shows that he, he loves us, but uh, not necessarily. I mean, he could, just could have created uh, the world kind of as the deists say, and detached, become detached from it. And there's no relationship involved there. But the whole idea that he, in, he intends to have a relationship with us and a relationship of love, that is very significant. Okay, and also the will, that he has a will for us and what we are to do according to his will. Good. Anything else that we cannot learn about God simply by viewing the universe? Anything that's been given to us by specific revelation or special revelation okay. in the scriptures? Okay, okay. So, um, anything that is communicated to us through words, through his word, okay, uh, the communication, any kind of communication is, is absent, okay. And uh, so, we need more than just the um, created order. We need special revelation. Okay, um, this will teach us about who God is, his character, his identity, his plan for us, his design for us. And that we find here in the scriptures, in the word of God, the Bible. Okay, we have this need for um, revelation. Well, God has provided that uh, revelation for us, recorded in the scriptures, and uh, the world then essentially becomes the stage <coughs> for this kind of divine drama where we learn about what is not only our purpose, but also creation's purpose, the universe's purpose, okay? Uh, we learn from the scriptures that the earth now 
is the home for God's crown creatures, the crown of his creation, those he created to be in a relationship with. And so it's kind of the stage for the activities um, of God. Uh, some have called this the divine drama. And so what you have here, this is depicting an amphitheater here in the stage, kind of after the order of the ancient um, Greek uh, arenas, uh, stages, if you will, theaters. Okay, And center stage here is the world. Okay, But you notice that it all focuses in the Middle East, in Palestine. This is the place where um, the scriptures um, are set the setting for that and the setting then for the biblical narrative and for that special and supernatural revelation and the fact is we will serve as spectators as we are studying this particularly the Old Testament but we are also participants in the divine drama as we continue to live out the calling that God has for us as his people. I think it's also important now for us to better understand the setting stage, if you will, for this divine drama. And uh, uh, it is in the Middle East, what we call the Middle East. This is more of a close-up for that. Uh, most of it will take place here in what is today called Israel and also some of the surrounding territory, Jordan, now uh, Syria and so forth and uh, so this is from ancient times been called Palestine uh, actually after the Philistines uh, earlier than that maybe Canaan and um, uh, there are important reasons why God chose this part of geography to if you will bring his special revelation to the whole world, okay? And um, in the ancient world, we have what's called the Fertile Crescent here. Perhaps you've heard of that, okay? The Fertile Crescent. And it follows Mesopotamia, which in the Greek means the land between the two rivers. And then it comes across to this uh, western shore of... Uh, kind of Asia Minor, if you will. Uh, it's also been called the Levant. And then over into Egypt and along the um, Nile River, Fertile Nile River. Okay. This territory here is arid, dry desert, uh, virtually uninhabitable. Okay. So you've got then this, this territory here, which is the Fertile Crescent. And this is where most of ancient history takes place. Um, at least uh, in ancient Near Eastern history, uh, and the biblical history then as, as well here. Okay? Now, the reason why this is such a strategic area is because you have the great empires of Egypt connecting with Africa here, and then Mesopotamia. And these two dominant entities are always combating with one another, competing with one another for the domination of the ancient Near East, okay? Uh, also up, up here in, in this region of Asia Minor. And uh, 
So what you'll find here is that Canaan, Palestine, becomes the critical um, trade area, travel area between these two empires. So this becomes, if you will, the, the central travel zone and trade zone for most of the ancient Middle East. Um, and so this is going to be a place of great influence, for better or for worse. The Lord intended it to be a place of influence for the world for the better. Uh, but his people didn't always live up to that uh, hope and expectation of the, the Lord. Okay? So uh, there are many trade routes here, the, the way of the sea, the king's road, and so forth that traverse through here. Many battles are fought. Uh, in order to gain control of this very critical and strategic region here as well. But it's, it's a place that uh, is central for the whole ancient Middle East. Okay? It's important for you as well to know some of the major players here in terms of empires and um, nationalities and so forth, cultures. Uh, so let me highlight these, and you should be able to identify the location of these major empires. Obviously, Egypt over here. Uh, we think of the pharaohs and uh, significant events in the Old Testament that took place in Egypt. Okay, so the Egyptians. Okay, and then moving uh, to the, the north and, and the east then uh, along the coast of Palestine and, and up to north to Syria along the coast is Phoenicia, present-day Lebanon, okay? Syria, which in uh, biblical times was called Aramea, or just simply Aram, okay? So uh, Syria is also Aram. And then uh, up here, Assyria, this would be in the northern and western part of Mesopotamia. The Assyrians, different from Syria, although you see Syria in there, it's a completely different route, Assyrians. Um, and then down here, Babylon, or the Babylonians, the lower end of Mesopotamia. And then the Persians as well. Okay, So earlier in... Um, well, actually, uh, even in Genesis, we begin here in Babylon with Ur of the Chaldeas, okay? Uh, but most of the um, dominating empires go in this direction. So you've got Egypt earlier on, time of the Exodus. Then you've got the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and at the end of the Old Testament period, the Persians. So be able to distinguish those major empires. Now, there are others important as well, the Hittites, but they don't come into play in uh, Old Testament history very much. I mean, like Esau married a Hittite woman, but uh, wasn't all that important. Uh, there will be other smaller um, nations, if you will, just immediately around Israel, like the Ammonites, the Moabites, the uh, Perizzites, the 
termites and so forth <laughs> that we'll be getting at. But uh, let's just be aware of these here. Okay? And here you can see then some of the major uh, uh, empires that hold, held uh, dominion at various times in Old Testament history. Uh, the ones that we'll particularly be concerned with are these three. Uh, the Greek and the Roman is, are really after the Old Testament era. So the Assyrian. Um, Assyria, again, was up here in the northern part of Mesopotamia, gained this control primarily in the 9th to the 7th centuries. Uh, by the way, when we're speaking of, of um, ancient history, B.C., okay, before Christ, uh, when you're in the 800s, you speak of the 9th century B.C. Um, and, and so forth, because the 1st century B.C. would be the double digits, if you will you know, like 33 B.C., that's still in the first century B.C., as in uh, A.D. as well, okay? So the Babylonian Empire, uh, which took Judah captive into exile, uh, Babylon originated in the southern part of Mesopotamia, okay? And uh, so that begins... Um, in the 7th century, late 7th century, and dominates in the 6th century. Okay. And then the Persian Empire begins where the Babylonian takes off in the 6th century and goes down to the 4th century before Alexander the Great. Okay. So a uh, much more vast empire. Came into conflict with the Greeks. You've seen the movie 300 you know, part of that story. But uh, this is a part of the latter um, chapter of Old Testament history. That's then the geographic setting for this divine drama. Okay, What is the, the script for the divine drama? The script is what we have in these books of the, the Bible, the Old Testament. And um, the word Bible itself comes from the Greek biblia, which really means book. But it is actually a collection of books, kind of like a library. And so that's what this here is intending to uh, demonstrate or depict. Uh, there are different ways of, of uh, dividing up or organizing the Old Testament scriptures, depending on which tradition you come from. And I think it's helpful for us to, to be aware of this. Um, the Hebrews scriptures, that is those that were written in Hebrew and the structure that the Jews have, divide into essentially three main sections, which are called the law, the prophets, and the writings. Okay? We'll come back to that shortly here. Uh, for us Christians, then, the Old Testament is essentially divided up into the section of history, okay, from Genesis to Esther, and then poetry from Job and Psalms to the Song of Solomon. The major prophets, which are referred to major, not because they are more important necessarily, but because they are simply larger in terms of size of the document, and then the minor prophets uh, smaller. So that's typically how we divide up the uh, 
the Old Testament. Okay. Um, obviously, the Roman Catholics have additional books in their Old Testament canon, as it's called. Uh, we call that the Apocrypha. Okay. And um, um, what is the main distinction between these books here and what are found in the Apocrypha? The main distinction is that these are Hebrew scriptures written in Hebrew, okay? whereas the additional books were written in Greek, okay? not originally in Hebrew, written in Greek. And that's why the Jews do not include them as part of their canon. And the Protestants have also carried on that um, um, tradition and recognition that uh, only those that were written in Hebrew are considered to be canonical. Um, even the Roman Catholics, though, uh, will say that the apocrypha, apocryphal books are what they call deuterocanonical. Deutero means second, that it's not of the same level of authority as these uh, texts and scriptures. Okay, but let's take a look now at this library here of the Hebrew scriptures, the Jewish structure that we have here. Okay, uh, the first five books of the Bible are typically referred to in English as the law. Okay, the Hebrew word is Torah. Okay, Torah. And so that would include then Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Torah, okay? And um, perhaps law is not the best translation for us because of our doctrinal categories of law and gospel. And we think law then, this is all speaking of what we are to do, what God demands of us, okay? and what we are to be condemned for failing to do. That's how we theologically, doctrinally understand the law. Well, um, the Torah includes both law and gospel. Okay? So it's not exclusively law. <laughs> There's wonderful, glorious gospel of God's work, of saving and delivering and redemption. Think of the Exodus that's in the, the Torah. Okay, uh, this, these five books are also called the Pentateuch. Okay, Penta in the Greek for uh, five, toikos for scrolls. Okay, so uh, five scrolls. And uh, uh, in the, the mind of the Jews today, uh, this is the most important part of the, the Hebrew scriptures the Torah. In Jesus' day, in fact, the Sadducees uh, held to the Torah alone as authoritative. They did not even hold to the, the other later scriptures as being authoritative and inspired by God. Okay, well that's the first part, the Torah. Then you have over here the prophets prophets and um, the prophets in the Hebrew, the term was Nebi'im, it's an N, 
Okay. Um, and it includes, as you can see here, what they called the former prophets and the latter prophets. Okay. So the former prophets begin with Joshua and go through the kings. These are primarily historical books, but it's a record of, of prophets. Okay. Even Joshua was referred to as a prophet. Moses was referred to as a prophet as well, but certainly Samuel was. And then uh, in these narratives, you have uh, prophets such as in 1 Kings, Elijah and Elisha. Uh, Elisha is in 2 Kings and uh, some of the other uh, earlier uh, classical prophets. Okay, And then the latter prophets here, which would be um, the ones where we have actually um, oracles from those prophets. They're not just historical accounts about the prophets, but oracles from them. Okay, And then lastly, you have the writings. And this is really more of a, um, uh, what would you say, just kind of a catch-all term for the remainder of the, the, the um, books of scripture here. Uh, most of them are poetry, but not all of them. Okay, uh, For example, Ezra and Nehemiah and the First and Second Chronicles, those are historical. Okay, So um, uh, these are simply more of, of uh, an amalgamation of the leftovers, if you will. Okay, so these are called the writings. Ketubim. Um, okay, and so um, oftentimes the uh, Hebrews will speak of this entire library corpus as the Tanakh. Okay, so what you have there is the first letter of each of these. Okay, T N K. Okay, representing the whole corpus, the whole library. I think that's important for us to to understand that distinction, and it's especially helpful for us in reading the New Testament. For example, in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus says um, that everything written in Moses and the prophets and the Psalms were written about him. Okay, He opens the disciples' eyes to see the things written about him. In Moses, Moses as the author of the Torah, the prophets, and then oftentimes the Psalms are simply kind of shorthand for all of the writings. So there's that three-point division of those. In the Hebrew scriptures, remember these are all those that were written originally in Hebrew. And so those of you who are in the MDiv program uh, either already have learned or will learn Hebrew in order that you can study these in the original languages. Uh, but the titles of the books are simply the first Hebrew word in the book. Okay? So, for example, Genesis is in the Hebrew scriptures. Bereshith, which means in the beginning. Okay. Um, Exodus, Shamot, the names. It begins, these are the names. Okay. Um, uh, Leviticus, 
by Yikra, and he called. Okay, and the God and the Lord called Moses. Okay, Numbers the Midbar. Okay, in the wilderness. Okay, and uh, Deuteronomy. I'm not quite sure. I don't remember what what is. Oh, Devarim. Okay, the words. These are the words. So uh, these the the Hebrew scripture uses the first word in the book itself as the kind of title. Okay. Um, these terms, many of them that we have, are from the Greek. Genesis men, means beginning, Exodus means being led out, and so forth. Deuteronomy, second law, so forth. Okay, so that's just a, a, by way of a kind of introduction to um, um, uh, the Old Testament in general.